Um, so, uh, hello, this is uh, Kevin Richards from uh, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I am here today uh, launching uh, the first episode in a new segment that we're doing for the Playing with uh, Research in Health and Physical Education podcast um, called Going Behind the Research. And so rather than providing a forum to discuss research uh, that is conducted in health and physical education, the Going Behind the Research segment focuses on telling the stories that surrounds uh, that, that surround the research that we read in scholarly journals. Globally, this segment aims to humanize research by providing a forum to discuss the motives that draw researchers towards topics and studies, uh, challenges and successes that they experience along the way, and lessons learned that transcend individual journal publications and impact future research decisions. Each episode will feature an interview with one or more members of an authorship team to discuss the stories behind a selected publication. Um, and this will include a brief overview uh, of the study, the common, uh, and, and then we have a common interview guide uh, that we'll use to facilitate each of um, the individual conversations. Um, those conver the conversations will, however, be unique because the follow-up questions that I will ask will address um, specific topics that are raised uh, by the interviewees. And I'm very excited today because for the inaugural episode of, of this segment, I have um, Dr. Karen Goodrow uh, from um, the University of New Mexico, who is going to be talking to us about her paper with uh, Amelia Mays Woods uh, called Factors Leading to Career Frustration and Exit, a, a Case of a Veteran Physical Educator. Um, Karen, it's, it's really good to have you on and I'm excited to have this conversation. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I'm flattered and honored um, to do the first one of these. Um, as someone who, um, I really love what you said about humanizing research and telling stories behind it, um, because um, so much of my work, not all of it, not every single study or every paper, but so much of my work, um, every single project seems to have a story. Um, and they always involve certain the way certain life in, or, or schools and teaching impacts people. And the, that's certainly the case with this paper. So that's why when you asked me to pick one, that's why I picked this one. So um, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, when, when I was thinking about the, the, the podcast that Risco's put together and, and the great success that we've had over the last couple of years, um, and, and, you know, when, when he first started this, I had told him that I'd be a partner with him in it. And uh, other than appearing on some episodes, I really haven't helped too much. Um, and, and so I was thinking about what I could do to contribute. And I've just kind of had this nagging feeling for the, the longest time that we don't do a good enough job as academics sharing the stories behind our work. And so all we end up seeing is, you know, the, the publication, which, which tends to be, you know, biased in the positive direction. It tells the successes of a project without really getting into all the, the gritty stuff that goes into setting that up and mm -hmm. negotiating access and building relationships and, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so I figured that, that this might be kind of a cool forum to have those conversations. Awesome. Yeah, right. I agree. So why don't we go ahead and jump right in. So before we get behind the research, uh, could you please give us a, a brief overview of the study with a reminder uh, that, this article, that, that this article will be linked in the show notes of today's episode for anybody who's interested in reading more. Awesome. Okay. So uh, the title again, factors leading to career frustration and exit, a case of a veteran physical educator, single case study. Uh, the purpose of the study was to investigate the, and I'm just reading the purpose statement from the manuscript, the personal and organizational factors leading to career frustration and exit of a veteran physical educator. 
Uh, Amy and I use teacher career stage model um, as a theoretical framework. Um, the data sources for the project were observations, field notes, and um, multiple semi-structured interviews with the teacher. Um, lots of also informal conversations between me and the teacher. And then I also interviewed um, the principal, another PE colleague that this woman was working with, um, and then a, a fifth grade classroom teacher. And those interviews, the and I may be getting ahead of myself and into the, the meat of the, this type of conversation, but the I didn't originally intend to interview the principal and the and the P, the other PE teacher and the fifth grade yep. teacher, but is you know in in sort of an emergent type of design of this nature with a single with a single case study, it became clear that, and you'll see in the findings that the the first and most dominant theme was that there was a really difficult relationship with the school administrator, and that was one of the the probably if you now looking back the primary reason that this woman all of a sudden decided to retire. Um, and so I was like, I have to, I have to talk to the principal and get that perspective, not necessarily as a primary data source to explain this woman's story, but to bring context mm -hmm. to, um, and to support really the, the themes. And actually when I made the decision to interview the principal, I thought, you know, this could be, it could, it could disconfirm you know, where I, I didn't know what the principal was going to say. And so um, anyway, just to yeah. tell the whole story, I figured I had to interview the principal and then the PE colleague, because that also came to the surface. Um, yeah. yeah. And so we found four factors. The first one was the difficult relationship with the principal. Uh, the non, the, the PE colleague who was a ball roller uh, was uh, received preferential treatment and was the favorite, um, despite being a non-teaching teacher, as Matt Kirtner-Smith describes them, um, and then messages of marginality. Those three things then resulted in the fourth theme was, you know, complete demotivation. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, ultimately, the school principal in this particular story, and I think it illuminates the experience of certainly all PE teachers that you and I have have listened sure. to and studied um, that the school principal can be it can be everything yeah um, and if not I do overviewing the project yeah yeah oh, great that's that's perfect um, a lot a lot of things to kind of unpack there a lot sure. of questions, a lot of questions that I have I think um, many of those questions are, are, are kind of embedded within the, the the questions that I already have planned but, mm -hmm. but um, one thing that I'm really glad that you brought up, was kind of the emergent nature of the design and how you yeah. went to that environment, not necessarily, you know, expecting to do what, what I would call key informant interviews, you know, interview yeah. other key players, uh, but not necessarily uh, the, 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 the subjects or the participants in your study, but people who can shed light on them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, you know, as, as one question before I jump back to the interview guide, yeah. uh, what, what was the process like for you negotiating that access after it's kind of like a second layer of access you already had access to the school to the to the PE teacher mm -hmm. but then you had to negotiate this additional access to the teaching colleague and the principal great question uh okay so I'm just thinking a minute about 
all of the how I want to tell this sure. how this happened. So this study came to be. I didn't. I was working. This particular school was a field placement site. Yep. For the elementary methods course that I was teaching, and I had already been out there for a semester prior to this study sort of falling into my lap. Um, and so I already had a good relationship with the participant, but the principal already sort of like knew my face from being around. Um, and I had in passing seen the non-teaching colleague, right? The other PE teacher. And it was just a, oh, this is, you know, at that time, Dr. Lux from SIUE, right? And so he just knew me by face and name. And so that was, I think, huge, right? Like if I just walked into this environment and these people, I was a complete stranger off the street, that would have been different. Now, I wasn't a permanent fixture in the school, but, you know, when I later approached and I actually approached the other PE teacher first. And I just said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, doing a study on, you know, so-and-so I'm trying to forget what, what the suit, what her pseudonym is in this paper. I got to make sure that I get that right. So that I don't. Sure. Um, <laughs> out her. Ah, Lynn. Okay. Um, so I was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, you know, study on Lynn as a, as a, I'm trying to understand, you know, how a veteran physical educator experiences, you know, their job and, you know, you work with her, you know, would you be willing to share with me your perspectives? Sure. That was it. Yep. Now I knew exactly what the purpose of that interview was going to be, but that's the way I presented it to him. And then I did the same with the principal. Nice. Um, and so that's how that access, I guess, came to be. So, um, I was already kind of in the environment ish. Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it sounds like you had some, some, you know, good pre-existing relationships, at least within that school, uh, from the student teaching placement, which, yeah. which, you know, is, is a great example of sometimes how our responsibilities as, teacher educators with kind of the teacher educator side of our job and with the research side, because, um, you know, there've been numerous times in my own research where I feel like I've been able to negotiate access more successfully because I've already got relationships with these people and they know me from, from field placements and whatnot. Absolutely. And two things about that, you know, that I believe relationships are everything. But second, Um, The majority of PEAT faculty are not as, you know, fortunate as you and I to have time to engage in research. So if you're, I was working, I was on a three, three or a three, four at that time. And if you have a, you know, if you're really interested in being productive researcher, you have to find ways to to embed that with your teaching. So um, that's kind of, I I mean, I, I was doing that sort of thing anyway. So um, anyway, anyhow, that's, that's how that went. Yeah, that's great. So um, well, let me let me kind of uh, reel us back a little bit to the interview guy sure. that I've got here. Um, so so just kind of starting broad, um, you know, you know, my, my kind of uh, read of the study is that you're kind of looking at concepts like teacher career cycles and, and what happens as teachers start to wind down and wrap up mm-hmm. their careers. But then there's also layers of of marginality that come in here um, mm-hmm. uh, and other and other kinds of stressors, burnout. Um, so 
you know, broadly, what got you interested in these, these topics more generally? And how does this particular hmm. study fit into your, your larger line of inquiry? Interesting. Um, okay, so my, I, I uh, have said, you know, before, and, you know, anytime I'm asked a question about my research, it all stems from my, my experience as an elementary PE teacher in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I left my master's program at UNCG, having worked with Tom Martinek and studied with Don Hellison and TPSR and had this like really rigorous and, and theoretically sound, you know, PEAT program. And, you know, you're surrounded by these people who, you know, everyone has shared value for this work. And then you go into schools and you're dodgeball. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I had received a national teaching award. Um, I was on the, you know, executive board for North Carolina AFERD. I was funded by the American Heart Association, but inside the walls of my school, you know, I was dodgeball. Yeah. Um, and so that ultimately pushed me out of the field because I just became so frustrated and demotivated by not being respected or seen as a legitimate teacher. Mm -hmm. And then I know I, so I wanted to understand, I want to understand, well, I might, in my research career, I first wanted to understand, was this just me? Um, or, or is that, you know, do other people experience this beyond the friends that I had in my district who all, we all commiserated about marginality. Sure. <laughs> and so that's how I got started into this. And then it, that is just now morphed into, you know, seeking to understand how we can, uh, I've just, I've stopped thinking that my work, I'm, I'm not seeking to change the hierarchy or the structure. Um, we will remain marginalized. Um, so what can we do about it so that teachers don't feel like crap the way that I felt. Right. And so nobody told me I was completely blindsided by the context and the environment and the way that my work would be received. I don't want anybody to be surprised by that. Yep. Yep. But then, um, so I, I want, I want uh, pre-service teachers to know this is the, what you're walking into. This is why it's that way. And here's what you can do about it. But then also to in-service teachers, um, maybe who didn't have that in their teacher preparation, how can we support them sure. so that they can continue doing the work they love? I mean, physical educators love their work. They love the kids. They love the content. There's, and you and I have, have found that they, they, they gain tremendous sources of mattering and, and reinforcement and validation and fulfillment from the kids yeah. and the yeah. families. Um, and so how can we help them um, focus on those elements and then mitigate the negative ones? Sure. Um, and so this particular project, this teacher was, how does this fit in? Now I'm moving to how does this fit in? Yep. This particular study provides us with insights about how someone who was national board certified, highly effective, she taught classroom, PE, she'd done it all and was amazing. Um, and, the, uh, and, uh, and it turned on a dime. One, one semester I saw her, like I saw in May, I saw her, I came back in August for the fall and she was like, 
I'm done. Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, I need to understand what's going on here to understand how, because she was a model of motivation, passion, enthusiasm, skill, expertise, pedagogy. Um, and she was out. And so I knew then understanding what's going on here is, you know, like what state would call like an exceptional case. Right? Sure, sure, sure. So um, that's how, and so I think that this, this study, you know, we, it, when I, and I'm just looking here at the findings, it's been several years, you know, we use teacher career stage model. Um, and, and a lot of that I credit to Amy, you know, had done some work in this and I find teacher career stage model to be really an interesting and important complement. you know, and you, and, and you and I are getting ready to look at something where, how does teacher career stage line up with perceived mattering, but she was in it. She was in enthusiastic and growing, and went straight to career frustration and exit, mm, mm. which was really kind of a fascinating, you know, a one eighty of sorts. And so, um, yeah, I feel as though that sort of it really highlights because it's of the extreme nature of of the case, um, sort of the how these factors are so powerful. Yeah, did I answer the question? Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, okay. you answered that question and the, the next question as well. I was going to ask you to kind okay. of dive a little bit more into this specific study, which I, which I, which I think you really did uh, quite nicely there. Um, you know what, what we've uh, what we've done in some of the, the collaborative work that we've uh, uh, conducted over the last, you know, gosh, it feels like it hasn't been this long, but really like last ten years, yeah. uh, is we've we've uh, we've kind of you know kept that focus on on marginalization. But but kind of added that complementary focus on perceived mattering, and I know yeah. that this is a little bit of a rabbit hole um, <laughs> um, given this study. But I think that it I think that it's relevant because it kind of fits in with kind of how did we move on from here? Um, yeah. You know, how does this fit into the broader line? Uh, if you could if you could just kind of talk a little bit about what brought you because you brought that concept to to our group, like you were the one who found perceived mattering at the uh -huh. school counseling literature and said, Hey, you know, we, we haven't looked at this in PE, you know, Templin used to say to me a lot that, that one of the, the things that he found to be frustrating and that's, that's Tom Templin, my, my advisor at Purdue. I, I feel like we're just having a casual conversation and forget yeah. people who are listening, who don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what, what Templin used to say was that, you know, that the teacher socialization literature was flawed in the sense that it, it took, a rather negative uh, approach. Um, and it highlighted all the things that were going wrong and didn't give a whole lot of attention to what was going right and, and then enter perceived mattering. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And, and my, one of my advisors at Georgia when I was, um, and she was my qualitative methodologist and a brilliant i mean she's she's not just a researcher and in, in her own right but she's like she studies qualitative method um her name is kathy ralston and she said to me she was a she, in her teaching experience she was an itinerant music teacher okay before she left the k-12 mm. and i remember i remember talking to her about my dissertation and she said to me something about be very careful that your work that you're not that you don't get into the business of generating complaints mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that and that uh, 
with this work while important. And she did uh, some of her early research was in studying music teachers. Teachers have a lot to say and teachers that are marginalized have a lot even more to say. And be careful, you know, you don't want to get in the business of generating complaints. And that caused me to think, do I want to spend the rest of my career just documenting all the things that make teachers feel like shit? Excuse me for the four letter word on the podcast. Anybody that knows me would be proud that it took me this long to use one. Um, so I was like, and I got asked that question a lot when I would give research presentations. Well, so what? Like you're, you're not, you know, change, solving the problem. Um, the problem is much, much bigger than all of us. Um, sure. And so, so the, I think that that's why I made a conscious decision from the beginning of my work to focus on the implications for PE programs and the implications for professional development and, and connecting, you know, making that connection from, you know, from practitioners to the PEAT programs in their state. We, you know, we are their only support. Yep, yep. Um, and so I feel as though I, and I credit Kathy Ralston, I, I told that story, I credit her with, with providing me that perspective. The other thing that I think is interesting is that, because then the, then the work, you know, then you're, I mean, I, I can't imagine how I would have remained motivated if all I did was collect all of these negative experiences, right, and live in that negative space. And, you know, Chris Mellor, um, now a professor at Adelphi, is interested in using appreciative inquiry as a theoretical framework to explain, and, and this doesn't come as a surprise to you, there are a lot of teachers who are like, thank God I'm marginalized, mm. right? It's the lesser of two evils because when you're marginalized, they leave you alone. And there are some silver linings to the isolation and to the marginality. Now, by and large, it's, it's overwhelmingly negative. Um, but, but Tom Templin is, is I would agree. Um, and um, if we can't change federal legislation and standardized testing and the hierarchy of subject matter in K-12 schools, then we have to find a way to, you know, fight the battles you can win. Yeah, yeah. The way the way that I look at that, because I thought about that uh, that exact kind of point there um, over the last several years quite a bit, because um, because I've kept asking myself, you know, why do we why do we do this work? You know, why why are we looking at perceived mattering resilience? Like the real problem is that we need to change legislation. We need to change public perception and and social social norm. Uh, surrounding physical education and teaching more generally. But, but what I've really come to is that this is kind of like taking the battle on multiple fronts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I do think that we need to continue that advocacy work. And I think that organizations like Shape America have a real important role to play, you know, on, on, in, in the foreground of that, uh, in the work that they do uh, on the Capitol in DC, um, promoting um, legislation that's supportive of physical education. And, you know, I would go as far as to say that we need legislation um, uh, that, that, uh, that, that is supportive of teachers overall in a more general sense, not right. just physical education, but much broader than that. And we also need kind of shifts in, in public perception and understanding of, of the role of teachers and, and the role of physical educators, if we want to be more specific. But mm -hmm. those are the kinds of those are those are like cultural shifts that take time, yeah. um, and and you can't may you can't wave a magic wand. Um, there's a an article that that I read, and I'm not even going to try to remember anything about the article, but it but it made the case other than that made the case that um, 
you know, that, that policy spaces are, are very densely packed and they're fluid, but they're also, they're also slow to move. Um, and, yeah, the and policy pack- cycle is six years. Right, right. And so we can't just- When, it, when everything moves fast. Right, right. And we can't just yeah. sit around. And so rather than just sitting around, you know, we can, we can work to make teacher, we can work to help teachers make their lives better within the constraints yeah. they're operating in. And that's where I think this work comes in. Right, right. Um, yeah. So um, let, let's talk about methods a little bit. Uh, so we already, sure. talked, we already talked a little bit about the emergent nature of the design mm-hmm. um, and, and at the beginning and that, that was cool. But, but from you know, a methodological perspective, could you talk a little bit about what led you to the design that you used? And then if there's anything about this or anything about methods that you learned from this study that you've kind of carried forward with you? Hmm. Okay. Um, well, you know, I did this at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. And single case study design, which is what I knew because my dissertation was single case study yep, design. Yep. And Kathy Ralston, who I just mentioned, was a case study expert at Georgia. And the University of Georgia has a, an entire qualitative research department oh, wow. within their College of Education. Judith Pricely was there, you know, LeCompte and Pricely. So, so they have a tradition and an incredibly strong qualitative methodological um, training, if you will. And so I I had multiple courses beyond what was required in in qualitative design and then ended up using single case study. Um, And so uh, because of the way, you know, this emerged from my relationship with the teacher, I felt comfortable using single case study design. Um, I was, again, already going out there to do observations of the juniors during the elementary methods. And so, you know, work smarter, not harder. So like the field observations, those, the the field note journal and the observations, a lot of those happened because I was going to the site because my students were there. So um, now the the so then there were informal inter- conversations with her, but then I think it lists in here six semi-structured interviews, and it says one to two hours in length. But I mean, I can distinctly remember sitting at an Applebee's with this woman for like two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, yep. And again, you know, and this is sort of to bring in a. a conversation you and I had before when you asked me about this podcast. I mean, I had a relationship with this teacher uh, prior to her, you know, we, we hit it off on a personal level um, before all of this came to be. Um, And I had seen her teach. She was absolutely brilliant. Um, Knew she was national board certified, you know, and then came to find out that she you know, started her career in classroom teaching, had taught fifth grade, she taught first grade, fifth grade, you know, all of it went, you know, and then, and then did, you know, some peak coursework and then got the physical education. I mean, she didn't come to physical education to begin with. Sure. Um, but, um, and so a lot of the method, A, was grounded in my familiarity and training and comfort with single case study design. But then, you know, part of that training was, you know, at Georgia was you don't select your method and then decide what study you're going to do. So what was the purpose of the study? The purpose 
was I wanted to understand what was happening with this single person. Why did she go from, yeah, I know. I mean, like literally, I remember her telling me this spring before I'm at the end of my career, but you know, I don't know. I think maybe I'll stay around like, you know, five, seven more years. And she was super enthusiastic and passionate And I came back three months later and she said, I submitted my retirement paperwork. And I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And so it kind of lent itself already because the question being asked really wasn't about anyone else. Yep. Yep. And so it, and so single case study design was the organic and appropriate methodological choice because of the question that I was asking. I wanted to understand what happened to take this exceptional case, as, as Stake would say, a, a teacher who, you know, Amy and I had used national board certification as a metric, albeit a crude one, and maybe not the most accurate to sort of operationally define expertise in teaching, although the literature, you know, you could argue is mixed. And she possessed all of those things. Yep, yeah, and yeah. so it k- kind of I mean, I, to, to, to be quite honest, to select any other design would have been inappropriate and would have, in my estimation, you know, been a design flaw. Yep. Yep. Uh, Did I answer the question? You did. Yeah. Uh, And just the follow-up question. And then I think I've got maybe one more that, that I want to throw out to you uh, before we start to wrap up here. Um, uh, you, You kind of hinted around issues that that relate to kind of positionality and yeah. the, the role of the researcher um mm-hmm. your relationship with uh, with participants um, yeah. and so i'm just i'm just hoping that you could talk a little bit about how you navigated those kinds of things because i think that's another thing i think many of us in yeah. physical education end up doing research with people who we have these kind of pre-existing yeah. relationships with and and there are strengths to that but there are also challenges that that go along with it yeah, and there's a section in the manuscript about the role of the researchers. I had, this was a tough one for me because at the beginning of this study, my, my belief, my perspective was this is a fantastic teacher who is highly effective. I thought she was a wonderful person and something must have, she must have been done wrong to to result in this change in her feeling and so if i was going to accurately tell or understand i had to own that i think lynn is awesome we need her somebody did something and somebody was being a jerk I mean, and, and, and to be quite honest, I had, I had to be honest enough with myself and to, and that is in the, um, uh, in the role of the researchers. Um, so researcher, you know, talk about a little bit about researcher subjectivities and I'm someone who believes that if we utilize the appropriate measures of trustworthiness and credibility, we can mitigate and keep these in sure. check. Yep. Um, it requires the researcher as the instrument to be uncompromisingly honest with themselves and it's okay to say I mean like I'll still to this day say she was one of my favorite practitioners and cooperating teachers I ever worked with I entered this study believing she was a brilliant pedagogist 
Um, and so Amy was a critical piece in that because Amy didn't know this woman from the man in the moon. And so, you know, I don't know if it's in here, if we utilize, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure we didn't call Amy a critical friend, but like peer debriefer, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yep. Um, and then I had to be really hard on myself when I felt my personal, my personal perspectives, not just about Lynn, but about marginality, uh, what I'd learned from my dissertation. Um, I had to constantly be documenting those um, in my journal or as I was, you know, like when I'm doing, I don't know if you do this, but when I'm doing an interview, I'll keep like a notebook or something like this and I'll just scribble stuff on there. Right. And I just write, you know, like she's saying this and I can feel myself getting fired up. Right. I would write that, write that in the researcher journal. Right. And so, you know, we used all of those sorts of things, but I mean, I, I had some pretty strong, positive emotions about her. And I knew from my training at Georgia, um, not just from Kathy, but from Paul and Paul Shemp and Brian McCulloch, that um, I needed to figure out how to use those. I like being an insider. I knew certain things to ask, but then I also had to make sure that I kept those in front of me, right? making sure that I, is this my opinion or is this what the data are saying? And Amy was a critical piece in that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and it's so, it's so funny how, how similarly we, how similarly we think because <laughs> as you were going through, you know, kind of talking about the trustworthiness and it, it struck me that, you know, Amy has that outsider perspective. So I was going to ask about that and then you just yeah. kind of brought it right up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, I saw you. I saw you doing the yeah, deep yeah. nod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember calling, I remember calling Amy when I left the school and I said, Oh my God, I want to write an IRB and study this lady. Yep. You know, do you want to do this? And, and she was like, yeah. And so she was not in any way a part of the, I, I collected all of the data. Amy provided the, you know, teacher career stage as a way to explain, which was really awesome. And she was, you know, had done that work with Susan Lynn before. And so sure. she was in that. And that this kind of happened around that same time when she was finishing up some of that longitudinal work. But really, I just talked to Amy nonstop. Oh, yep. my God. She said this. Oh, my God. And she'd be like, OK, you got to ask her about da, yep. da, 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 right. Sure. Or, you know what? We should we need to interview the principal. So and I was, you know, in my first or second year and Amy was mid-career. And so, you know, I learned so much, you know, Amy mentored me so much in, in the emergent approach, right. I learned a lot sort of implicitly from, from working with Amy in that way. And I'm committed yeah. to her for that. Sure. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I, this is helping at all. No, it's, it's helping. It's helping a lot. Yeah. That, that, that's great. So, uh, last, last two things I have, um, yeah. uh, both are going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. Um, and, uh, one of them, I didn't tell you I was going to do, so we'll see how you feel about that. Um, but the first uh, is what was a question on the list that I gave you. Um, so do you have any stories accompanying the process of completing this investigation that you feel comfortable sharing that, that give, a, give us a look under the hood and bonus points if you can make us laugh? <laughs> um, you know, I feel like, so 
stories to look under the hood about what was the second part of the question? Um, just give give us a look under the hood about about this study. So anything, any, any story that you might be able to tell us that kind of helps us understand what it was like to do this work. And, and then if you can, mm. if you can tell us a story that makes us laugh, you get bonus points. Mm. Dang it. Well, you know, because I'm so competitive, I want to get as more points than anyone else who ever does this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make you laugh, but um, I think this is funny, but not funny. Um, the PE teacher, the non-teaching teacher, typical of every ball roller ever. Oh, he thought he was really doing a good job. Right? <laughs> um, yep. And um, yeah, uh, like, okay, like here, this is a perfect quote. Okay. I, this is what he said in an interview. <laughs> I mean, he was busy, happy, good. Yeah. I believe PE should be about enjoyment. I'm fortunate here because Lynn does all the skill teaching. <laughs> well, it's not like I need to teach mechanics. So then what do you do, bud? Bro. Yeah. And then the other thing was, and this is also uh, funny, but not funny. And I, I expected this to happen. The principal, when I interviewed her, right? And, and remember, I had already bit conducted tons of interviews with her and observations. And I had even had notes in the, my field note journal about the principal kind of like just walking through the gym, right? Um, like, you know, that she would just come in. Um, and uh, so when I approached her, you know, about the interview, I, oh, I'm doing this study. I'm trying to understand, you know, Lynn as a veteran physical educator and how she experiences her work, right? Intentionally very broad. And I'm like, I know what I'm going to get from this principal. She's going to tell me that she thinks the world of Lynn and how wonderful Lynn is and da, 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 da. But the data had already indicated that you know, she, um, Lynn was so good and the principal was kind of new and a bit kind of finding her way, but Lynn was this exceptional educator and the principal felt threatened by her. That was my interpretation. And so whenever she did amazing things with physical education or children and the parents loved it, you know, the principal was resentful of that. And she, there were times, and there's a quote in here about um, the principal, there was an incident, and I used, also used critical incident accounts. And one of them was about the principal kind of reading her the riot act in front of parents. And I knew this before I entered, before I did the principal interview. And, and you know, it, it, the principal was, you know, PE is important. Lynn is wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. And um, yeah, um, it was funny, but not funny because, sure. and, and maybe this also speaks to like the process of doing the work. It made conducting that interview difficult for me, yeah. Yeah. not because of what she was saying, but because I was I was doing, I was at, using every interviewing 
skill muscle that I had in my repertoire to ask questions that would allow her to share her authentic perception without knowing that she was doing so. Yep. Yep. And that, you know, I I was early in my career. And so I just remember feeling like I remember listening, you know, you know how, when you're doing an interview and you're listening to the participant and you're, you're listening to their words, you're remembering the purpose of the study and you're thinking, okay, how do I, you know, use their own words or how is their answer right now in this moment going to dictate my next question. And that was really challenging for me in the interview with the principal because Mm. she knew I was a researcher at the university. I was in her school. Um, I was there because she was a good CT and a great PE teacher. And so the principal knew what she needed to say. Right. And so that was, that was a challenging interview in terms of getting, I mean, she wanted to talk, but in terms of getting, I guess, I don't know if I should use the word accurate, but accurate data. Right. So, and I did make you laugh though. So I might get one bonus point for that. You get a couple, get a couple. Okay. Um, Thank you. So last thing, and I did not tell you that I was going to do this. Um, So hopefully you don't mind me putting you on the spot and having a little bit of fun, but I've got um, three, well, let me frame it this way, because part of the goal in this is to kind of get behind the the research and learn more about the process. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd also be fun for the listeners to learn a a little bit about you. Um, So I've I've just got six topic areas. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to fire them off. Okay. Um, and, and first thing that comes to mind, your favorite within each topic area. Okay. So this is rapid fire, basically rapid fire. Love it. Okay. okay. okay so six, six categories, favorite color. Um, to wear black. Um, I was going to say black. <laughs> to look at blue. I was going to say black. <laughs> Looking like a true fashionista. Uh-huh. Uh, a favorite animal. Giraffe. Ooh, uh, favorite season of the year. Fall. Ooh, I didn't expect that. Um, favorite place on earth. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that came to mind is Athens, Georgia. There you go. Because I always say it's the greatest place on the planet earth. I have very romantic feelings about my three years in Athens. Um, but if I think, if I think more, if I actually think about it, I would say uh, the American West. Okay. Okay. Um, favorite food? Chips and queso. Ooh. And favorite thing to drink? Wine there or coffee. It's a tie. Time. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if you could go to a depends place. on what time it is. There you go. There you go. Now your question about favorite season. The first thing I thought of, Kevin, was well, you can't ask anybody, you can't ask Kelly Simonton or Ben Kern that question because they have two seasons. Winter <laughs> and not winter. winter. Don't even call it summer. Don't call it spring. Yeah. That's so. 
Well, cool. Thank you for playing along. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and thank you for, uh, for for taking us through this, getting us behind the research. Um, uh, well, just just like we do with uh, with uh, normal segments on the podcast, um, a link to the article will be in the show notes if you're interested in taking a, a look and learning more. Um, and thank you very much, uh, Dr. Goudreau from uh, University of New Mexico for uh, visiting us today um, and, 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 and sharing a little bit about uh, what went into this project. Thanks, Kevin. And I'm going to be remiss if I don't give mad props to my girl, Amy Woods. Um, she's the best. And uh, I loved this. I loved all my work with her, but this one was just me and her, just the two of us. And uh, yeah, she's the best. So props to Amy. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Kevin. Yep.